Hey everybody, this is Keith Loy. I'm the founding senior pastor of Celebrate Church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and this is our podcast. I just want to say thank you for joining us, and it is my prayer that this week's message will truly encourage you. Enjoy. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to go to John 15. You see, when my wife and I landed in Atlanta, we got into our car and we're making our way the night before to our hotel room, and when we were driving down the interstate, which was quite congested, there was a huge billboard that caught my eye. Huge billboard that was all white with black lettering right across the top. And here's what it said. Undo, I do. 1-800-DIVORCE. I thought, wow. And the law firm was down in the corner. amazing me to think about this amazing gift that God gave us and what the great joy that you can experience and how we have learned to turn that and and make justifications and and as I've said many times the great enigma to my father in all the years that two people would stand in the presence of God and knowing in not a short order of time those hands would become this and they wouldn't want anything to do with each other Undo, I do. One in hundred divorce. And I turned to my wife and I said, you know, I'd like to put right over the top of it. Let's finish what God started. One eight hundred, eat this. You know what I mean? <laughs> See, when do, we, when do we stop for a moment and have the honest conversation? God created it. And what God puts together, man cannot put it under. Why can't we have the honest conversation of saying and conceding, we obviously don't get it, God. But we won't. I share with you that a world that is fully populated, larger than it's ever been, and we represent 7% of the world's population, that's it. 93% of the rest of the world doesn't live here. And yet, over half the divorces in the world happen in this country of 7%. We're richer than ever, and we, we don't want to have the honest conversation. We don't want to talk about the reality. We don't want to look at our hearts. And the church is on the decline. I think there's more fans of Christ than there are followers of Christ, and they just have to say that. Because just like the game, when my team's not giving me what I want, I just pick up, go elsewhere. We don't want to have the honest conversation. You might want to write these down, because this is important that you catch it. In this country alone, right now in America, the wedding industry is a $51 billion industry a year. $51 billion are spent by 7% of the world's population on a wedding. Isn't that interesting? And yet we say we're quite intelligent and smart, which really is kind of awkward because we already know that one out of every two marriages, and by the way, the percentage among God's people who say they're followers actually have a higher percentage rate than those who say they're not when it comes to divorce. So basically what we're going to do is $25 billion plus, we're just going to throw in the fireplace and burn up. 
It's interesting to me. And I've shared with you that Jesus is not interested in weddings. He's interested in marriage. He's never been about a day in time and the investment therein. I think Pastor John was right. What about day two? What if we put the same investment in day two, day three, day five, day 100, day 1,000? Because isn't that really what we're standing here? Or maybe when we stand at the altar, we're really not. Maybe it really is about us and an image. And the problem in marriage is, is now we don't know what to do when we leave for the honeymoon and we're no longer the center of the attention. I'm just willing to have the hard conversation. I may be wrong, but it's worth the ask because I'm trying to understand why it's declining in such an alarming way late. Our marriage with Christ and our marriage with each other. $51 billion. You may not know this, but Pinterest tells us, this is crazy to think about. Pinterest says that wedding-related aspirations make up about 80% of all the content on the internet. Think about that. But here's the real sadness of my heart. The revenues for the divorce industry mirror almost exactly the revenues of the wedding industry. In other words, we're going to spend $51 billion a year on marriage, and we're going to spend about $51 billion a year on making sure they come apart. Man, I'd like to have part of that. And let people experience what God can do. See, I always say it this way because I think it's in question. What if God really is God? Some people say, but he is. Not in this country. But what if he is God? What if he really is for us, not against us? What if he actually wants you to experience love beyond your wildest imagination? What if he wants to take you to a place in your relationship like you really dream or you think you know, and then he wants to show you even more? What if the man who actually said and gave us the gift could show us all of what heaven really desires for it? See, I think he can, but I think there's a problem <laughs> See, there's a Sunday school teacher having her young children in a class, and she's sharing the story about when Jesus went to the wedding and he changed the water into wine. Some of you may not know this story, but it's the first public miracle. Jesus is about 30 years of age. He's not done anything that has been really eternal and heavenly up until this point, at least visually. So he's at a wedding, so he wasn't invited there because he's the miracle-working God. He was on the guest list because obviously the bride and groom thought he was cool enough to make sure he was there. So Jesus goes to a wedding just for the wedding. And his mother goes with him. God love moms. And they run out of wine at the wedding, at the reception. And Mary says, uh, hey, hey, hey. Ask my son. He can take care of this. He, he'll fix the problem. And Jesus is like, uh, Mom, shh. <laughs> and, and as a mother, she doesn't even witness that. She just says, he's got it right here. <laughs> and so Jesus goes, okay. And he turns water into wine. It's a big deal. And she says to the class, now, children, what did you just learn from this story? 
Little boy raises his hand and says, if you're ever having a wedding, make sure Jesus is there. <laughs> and he's right. And he's right. Make sure Jesus is there. It's the key to everything. I mean, that's when it all begins. That's when it all changes. That's when the beauty fulfills in a way like never before. When you have Jesus there. I want you to look at the screen. I want you to all read out loud with me. And I really want you to read this out loud from 1 John 2, verse 6. Now listen, this is God's word. Look what the Bible says. Read it with me. Whoever says he abides in Jesus ought to walk in the same way in which Jesus walked. I want to encourage you to circle that word ought. Because here's the problem in translation when we try to find a word in English and it almost appears that somehow God's word is giving us a suggestion. But it's not. It's actually a word written in the emphatic. Here's what John just told us, God's word. Whoever says he abides in Jesus, whoever says he is a follower of Jesus. By the way, God's not into fans. He's into followers. He's into followers. That's what he said to his disciples. You follow me. You'll pick up that cross daily. It's not about you. But the word here says, whoever says that they're a follower of Jesus is to love like Jesus, is to live like Jesus. It is the expectation of God. The command of God. It's not an option in which we get to choose. Church, I study the Bible. I'm not saying you don't. But I take a lot of pains in reading it. And from the inception of the church in Acts, when the church began over 2,000 years ago, all the way through the end of Revelations, in the end of time, which we're still in that time living it out, the word of God is emphatic. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, you're to love and live and act like Jesus. There's no other option implied. There's nothing else offered. And some people say, well, that's impossible. But therein lies your problem. And I think it's the problem in the church today. You spend way too much time looking at what you can't do instead of what Jesus did. People go, well, none of us are perfect. He is. But we all make mistakes. He don't. And your life will always go in the direction of what you look at. And some of you would say, well, we can't be perfect. Why can't we? We're human. He's not. Jesus says, I'm perfect, you be perfect. He says that, it's in the scriptures. See, I, I think it's because we don't know the word. See, we're to walk by faith. We're to walk in the spirit. See, it is possible, that's why Jesus said, it's best that I go away because I'm going to send back the Holy Spirit, my presence in you. He will convict you. He will guide you. He will lead you in all paths of righteousness. Amen. And I'm going to show you how that works. 
But I know some of you are already sitting back going, man, I don't agree, Pastor. We all make mistakes. You're right. And that will be your life. We always make mistakes. But Paul said this, I may not have obtained it, but the one thing I do is I put the past behind and I press on to the one who is. That's my focus in living. It's not about what I can't do. It's about what he did. And you'll always go and live and love in the direction your heart is and what you know. And I'm going to show you this. I'm going to show you this. We have an incredible gift called the Spirit, but it's going to require one key ingredient. And I want you to write this word down. Anywhere on your paper, take out your notes. I want you to write this one word down because it's the key. It's the word we don't understand, but it's the essence of everything God wants to give you. You ready for this? Humility. Say it with me. Humility. But there's a problem. It's called pride. And those that are pride full of themselves will fall. They will never understand success. And if they have any, it's only temporal at best. And the applause will come and the applause will go and you'll be buried in a casket. They'll stick you under the ground. And just like you go by any cemetery, there's very few visitors. It's interesting, isn't it? But when you understand humility, this is the essence of who you are and we are without Christ. But when you understand humility, the hum is him and it's all about being built. Humility, being humbled, being him built. Or as Reed said, when you get engaged, you take a proper position, just never get up. And the engagement that you have with your wife the moment you stand up, and I'm talking spiritually speaking, is the same problem in the church. You come to an altar, but then you rise up and somehow think that you have anything to offer. And there's one thing that God's taught me is there's not a thought he cares about. There's not an opinion that he's ever asked. There's nothing about me because the Bible says every way a man thinks and lives will always lead to death. And my God's about the living, not the dead. Amen. His thoughts are not my thoughts. His ways are not my ways. But in the posture of understanding being him built, and you understand what it means to be that person before him, all of a sudden now we have the transformation of a new mind and everything begins to change. I'm going to show you how that looks. But I have to look at one more verse because it's important you understand this. Because pride is a big deal in this country. Take pride in what you accomplished. Take pride in what you've done. Take pride in who you are. I can't do it. Because without him, I accomplished nothing. Nothing. I take no pride in that. If you're going to use the word pride, I only have one. And that's in Jesus Christ crucified. And I'm going to show you that. But there's a verse you need to hear, and it's very important. I want you to look at the screen. I want everybody to read it out loud with me. It's out of the book of James. Here's what it says. Come on, church, read it. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God opposes the prideful, but he gives grace to the hymn-built. He opposes, we like the grace card, but the problem is, is grace cannot come until you understand the pride 
card. Let me explain. We just read in this verse, God opposes the proud. Here's what you need to understand. And if in your relationships, being right is more important than being righteous, you got a problem. If being heard is more important than listening, you've got a problem. And you need to know what this verse just said. When you read it in the original language, it says this, God will be the one actively fighting you in life. God himself said, I will oppose you. I become your opponent. In your world of living, I'm in the ring and you will not win. Can I tell you the problem in America? We think we can. You're fighting God and you will not win that fight. He actively will fight against you. I will oppose you on every area of your life. But I'll give grace to those who concede you can't win. I'll lift you up and I'll do things that you can't fathom. I'll restore what's been dead in your life. I will make those dry bones live again because that's who I am. Church, it's important you catch that as we're going into this because now we're going to talk about how do we live this humility out? How do we live this Christ-like humility? How do we live a hymn-built life? Because here's the deal in the context of marriage. The moment you say, I do, would you agree? There are a whole lot of I don'ts. Now, if you don't agree with that, it's because you just got married today, okay? All right? But tomorrow morning, you're going to wake up. When you say, I do, there is a whole bunch of stuff that comes your way. Because what we don't seem to understand and why marriage is so important to making sure that God is marriage is there's an enemy that hates it because the witness to the world is our marriages because that's the picture of our relationship here. It's reality. And we've not done well here, people, because I'm not sure we understand. And so we're going to look at John in just a moment, John 15. But if you got your notes, take them out. I'm going to give you three steps, and they are absolutely in order of what it means to live out a hymn-built, a humbled life in your relationships. Here's the first one. You have to die to self. Say that with me. Die to self. The first mark of Christ-like humility, the first step of being hymn-built, because until you are dead, he can't raise you up. There's no resurrection. You ready for this? There's no resurrection unless a corpse is present. So I don't think we understand that. Because see, what I think we've done in America is we've kind of have this thing called life. See, we, we, we sort of have our life and say, well, God's the center. But God's not interested in me in the center of your life, okay? He wants you in the center of his will. Okay, he's not God first, second, third. There's only one thing. The word second's not even in the Bible. There's just God. You seek first and everything else will be added. But we somehow think that he's a piece of it and therefore we navigate our lives accordingly and the word of God becomes second, which it cannot be. See, a resurrection can't happen until a corpse is present. I don't want you to miss this. It's dying to self. 
And by the way, if you call yourself a Christian, this is what we signed up for. We came to a place and said, I'm, I'm done. I know nothing, you know all things. It's in you that life, not me. There's nothing I have to offer except dying to myself and watching him resurrect himself in you. Church is important to catch this. If you stop right now and say, Pastor, you saying I'm not saved if I don't die to myself, it's exactly what I'm saying. I don't, I don't want that misinterpreted. If that puts you in defense, I'm sorry. That just proves the point. Salvation happens when it's no longer you. You've done and you die to self. And guess what God does? See, that's the power of Christianity. It's what it's all about. See, Jesus was on a cross. See, the power of the cross isn't the power to Christianity because anybody could have claimed to be Jesus and say, I'm dying for your sin and then die. People died on crosses all the time. But see, Jesus said, you're going to kill me, but I'm going to come back to life. And they went, I don't think so. But they obviously had question and doubt because they put him in a grave and then they put guards all around it. Well, why would you do that? Well, just in case, <laughs> he is what he says he is. And Jesus is like, okay, let me, let me put this. It's not just in case. Me do what I say do. And three days later, they know body. But now they have to point fingers. Well, his disciples took the body. And for a few days of that work, the only problem is, is now Jesus is actually walking around again. <laughs> like they're seeing him. And only he's done that. That's the power of Christianity. And no other religion can make claim to that. For the one who died gave us life. And in his death, we get life. And what he wants to do is the same in you. But you have to die to self. You have to decide. I'm not God. I need him. I'm desperate. Lord, I need you. Galatians 2.20. That's what, that's what Paul said. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. See, everybody dies. I mean, say it out loud. Everybody dies. Look at someone. Give them some good news. You're going to die, okay? Uh, why is it morbid? See, that's what's weird to me. People go, oh, that's so negative. Oh, my goodness. Let me tell you what negative is. If you don't know Jesus, that's negative. See, that, 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 that's not a happy day when you die. But see, America doesn't want to deal with death. Therefore, at every funeral, as Pastor Reed said, we sort of make it like everybody gets to go to heaven. But my Bible doesn't say that. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one will come to the Father but through me. You have to die to you to get me. But so we just go, oh, well, they're a good man. There are no good people. They're just God. Even Jesus said, I'm not good. Don't call me good. Only the Father is. God doesn't base our life on goodness. He don't base it on a curve. You do all your good things. If you don't know Jesus, you're still separated forever from him. That's the scripture and the gospel. What he did, no one did, and now he can do that in you, but you got to die to self. But I like to say it this way. Everybody dies once. God's children die twice. You die to self. And now, ready for this? It changes your understanding of the second death. I, I don't get it when Christians come up to me and they go, oh, my goodness. I mean, death just scares me. Why? Like, you excited about dying? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I'm kind of looking forward to it. 
I don't want to live forever in this cesspool. You can have it, okay? But oh my goodness, I'm going home with the Father. This place is temporary. And what I've discovered is I still check the internet. The death rate's still about 100%. It's right up there. So you're going to die. So I'd rather, if you will, spend my life looking forward to what is to coming, not what is. And what's coming changes what lives. See, I died to Keith, found Jesus, and the second death sort of excites me. People go, you haven't been there. He has. <laughs> but you don't know what it's going to be like. He does. I don't need to know. I don't need to understand. I'm just telling you it. It's going to be awesome. I want to be home with my Jesus. That changes things. So it changes. It changes my marriage. It changes everything. As I'm dying to self. And pretty much that's daily. But church, this is important. That's what Jesus said. If anyone would come after me, anyone, he must deny himself. He must die to himself, take up his cross and follow me. Notice that. Not become a fan of me. Follow me. See, God's gift to you and I was Jesus dying to himself. Our gift to God is you and I dying to ourselves. Because until you die, you can't live. Can't do it. See, that's how you approach marriage because you're going to have disagreements in marriage. Anybody figure that out? Okay. You're going to have divisive moments. You're going to have moments that can be, you, you might want to be defensive. But when you understand humility, you pick up the cross, you die to yourself, and you go, what would Jesus do? See, when I get, let me have this. I pray this every day. Father, I've not sinned yet. So far, it's been good. I've, 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 I've not been rude. I've not demanded my own way. I've not been angry. I've not been frustrated. But God, I just woke up. Okay? <laughs> and I'm about to get out of bed. Me going to need your help. I need to die to me. Because sin's the evidence that you didn't. We have to learn to die to self. Let me put it in picture form. Martin Luther used to say, when the devil came knocking on the door of his life, and, and the devil does that, he said, I'd always picture saying, Jesus, can you answer the door? And then Jesus would say, hey, devil, Martin Luther used to live here, but he's gone. He died. I live here now. Amen. How can I help you? <laughs> I love it. Who answers, no, don't answer this. Who answers your door when the devil comes knocking? You ready for this? Like when your boyfriend or girlfriend says, let's have sex, who answers the door? When you're fighting in your marriage, who answers the door? When someone hurts you, who answers the door? When you're out with the friends and there's temptation, who answers the door? the door when you're talking with your children or children you're talking with your parents who answers the door is it going to be God's word or your want and will depends all who died we have to die to self say that with me die to self you have to something beautiful begins to happen when you do here's step two devote your heart. Say that with me. Devote your heart. The second mark of Christ-like humility. Being him-built. Now listen. 
when you take something out of your life, you have to put something back in its place. If you don't do that, you will always go back to what you first took out. We're creatures of comfort. We're creatures of habit. Our natural tendency is to get up from the altar as a dead sacrifice and come to life again and crawl back off. That's why the Bible says, pick up your cross daily. You die to self. I'm going to show you how that looks like in just a minute. But when you die to self, don't miss this. You have to decide who and what is going to be your devotion. Who am I going to be raised up in? Here's the key. When God showed me something early in my marriage that began to make it a change, because many of you know we've been married 30 plus years, but 28 years ago we were heading to divorce. There was unfaithfulness, there was ugly pride, all that stuff. It wasn't hum built, it was prideful. But there's something I didn't learn early on about dying to self and then devoting heart. Because watch this. If I really care about what Christ cares about, I should be more concerned about my wife's salvation here than anything that she would do to me. But here was the problem. I see it in relationships so often. They have a dream. And they bring their dreams into the relationship and they want the other to help them achieve those dreams. And what God showed me was this. You need to die to your dreams, Keith. Your dreams are no longer the issue. You die to them. If you can't, don't get married. Now, sadly, we were already married. And God had to bring me. Because, see, the moment that I have my dreams and I bring them into the relationship, then Kay most times is going to be viewed as a slave to help me achieve those. And most of our relationship struggles was because she's not helping me get where I want. And the two shall become one. I know this to be true because go back to the Garden of, of Eden. You've got Adam and God, and I would contend outside of Christ, no one had a bigger dream than Adam. Talk about owning the whole world. He's got God. He ain't got no distraction. He just, he and God, talk about living the dream. And God says, oh, and he puts Adam to sleep. And the Bible says he must have gone a distant away. And he creates Eve because the scriptures say he brought Eve to Adam. And he picks up Eve and he brings back and says, all right, man, you're going to wake up and you're going to realize your dream was little. I'm about to big, give you about the biggest dream you can imagine. And he gives Eve to Adam and Adam goes, whoa, man. I've said that many times. Oh, like I had to wait for this. What's that? Come on. And the Bible says they become bone to bone, flesh to flesh. And what God puts together, no man can separate. And the same thing God did for us. While we were dead in our sin, God goes over and creates Jesus, if you will, and says, listen, I've got a bigger dream than you can ever imagine. That's the church. That's to be his relationship. And out of that relationship, we get to experience our relationships. You die to self, but it's the devotion of the heart. See, K is not my devotion. I didn't get that. That's why we were struggling. I didn't give K my heart. 
well, got us in trouble is that's what I did. And she does not have the capacity to carry it. Kay's not my devotion. She's the fruit of my devotion. I don't pray for a God-fearing, centered marriage. I pray God. Because I get the fruit of his promise. That's my devotion. It's God. That's where my heart is. See, discipleship, we gotten it wrong, I think, in this, in this, in this world. It's less about what we know. We think it's about getting the word, read, read, learn, learn. No, 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 no. It's less about what we know. It's more about who we love. I read the word because I want to know this relationship. That's why I'm enamored because when I get this, I want more of K. I want to know that relationship. It's this amazing pursuit of devotion. And Jesus said that. He said what? For out of the mouth, the heart will speak. See, see, words will always get exchanged in a relationship. Did you know that? By being in the word and devoting my heart, I get to choose which words. Because out of the heart, my mouth will speak. It's an amazing thing. Where's your heart? Is it devoted? You die to self. Is it really in Christ? Is that your devotion? Now, let me put another picture on it. You're in Iowa. And it's September, late September, October, and you're driving by fields of corn. If you've never been there, you need to do it. Oh, my goodness. I'm not saying the crops around here aren't that great. I'm just telling you, I always got something in the soil. And I've gotten out and walked through those cornfields, and we're talking some of it growing 20 feet in height. It's like redwoods. It's like awesome. Corn is like, just, I mean, it's just, It's amazing. And, and you're driving and something catches your eye. So you pull your car over and you're sitting in this long, alongside the road and there's a barbed wire fence. And over here is this beautiful field of corn. Corn's 20 feet in height, green, it's gorgeous. But you look over here and there's this field over here and it's full of weeds and there's a few pieces of corn, like stalks, like three feet and eight feet, but it's just weeds. Now, here's my question. Is that indicative of the soil or the farmer? In other words, when my devotion is here, I become so selfless that it reminds Kay of the cross. No greater love you'd laid on your life. In my devotion with Jesus... My wife never has reason to doubt my unfaithfulness. In my devotion to Jesus, she'd never dream that I would lie to her or manipulate her. See, in my devotion to Jesus, she thinks she's married to Jesus. You know, funny, my nine-year-old said that the other day. We were talking, and we were talking about being a pastor, and she goes, you're just like Jesus. <laughs> I was like, yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> and, and until you graduate, sweetheart, don't you forget that. Um, <laughs> but my point is, I had to think about that for a moment and think, isn't that what we want? Now, obviously, she was saying that in a different context. But isn't that what we want? That's what we get when our hearts are here. You're connected to the vine. See, John 15, look what it says. 
He's talking about the vine and the branches. Verse 4 says, abide in me. This is Jesus talking. And I'll abide in you. No branch can bear fruit of itself. It must abide in me. For neither you can bear fruit unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you abide in me, I will abide in you. You will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. It's a beautiful passage. He keeps going. As the Father has loved me, I love you. Remain in my love. Keep my commandments, he says in verse 10. Abide in my love. And I've told you this, that my joy will be made complete in you. Greater love than no man than this, that you'd lay down your life. That's what he did. It's all about abiding, my devotion. Where's your devotion? And some of you might be thinking it's absolutely impossible, but I encourage you again, it's not. When Jesus said, it's best I go away, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit's going to convict you and guide you and show you all things and lead you in paths of righteousness. That's the promise of the Spirit. And so we die to self. We devote our hearts, but here's the key, and I'll invite the team to the stage. You have to discipline your life. And I'm going to ask you to add one word, daily. You have to discipline. I know it says your heart, but you do what you want. You can cross that out as a statement of, I cross my heart, God. I will discipline my life daily. Because that is your heart. See, when Paul wrote in Ephesians 5, we get it wrong. We think that he's talking about this is how a man is to treat his wife but he's actually showing us how Jesus treats his. And I want to pull that apart for a second, and I don't want you to miss this because it's such a beautiful thing. It's such a beautiful thing. Church, catch this. In the same way, husbands, you should love your wives as their own bodies. Watch this now. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes it and he cherishes it just as Christ did the church. It's because we are members of his body. This whole passage, the mystery, is talking about who Jesus is and how much he loves his wife. And we're to reflect that, but we won't unless we understand it. So I ask this question, and I don't want you to shout the answer. I just want you to process this because I'd asked many people this building up to this service, and I got an array of responses. found that very interesting. How much do you think Jesus loved being Jesus? Don't answer it. Think about your answer. Ten being, he loved being Jesus. Five meaning, ah, you know, one is like it was hard. Your answer is probably key to understanding your relationship with God. Maybe I ask it another way. Do you think Jesus took care of himself physically, emotionally, and spiritually? Like he was perfect. The Bible makes it clear that Jesus loved being Jesus. Like, I love being Jesus. Like, I'm the son of God. Ah. <laughs> if you don't understand that, you need to. Because the way that Jesus loved Jesus is the way he loves you. That's why... The promises of scripture, I just own them. I, I can't get enough of them. I mean, he loves me so much. 
There's nothing about me he's not enamored by and so in love with. So when I wake up and I read the scriptures, I'm, 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 in, I'm pursuing what I love. It's not about what I can learn. And I'm just like blown away how much he loves me, how much he cares for me, how much he has for me. And Kay becomes the recipient of that. She just becomes the recipient. See, this is why David said, the Lord is my shepherd. I don't have anything I want. There's nothing, what would I need? I've got God. That's what Psalm 23 is about. My cup overflows. When I walk through the valley of shadow, he's with me, man, come on. I don't fear anything, he said. Goodness and mercy follows me all the days of my life. And why? Because one day I'm gonna be in the house of the Lord forever. Holy buckets, a game changer. Everywhere I go, it matters. See, here's how it works. When I become so overwhelmed by Christ's love for me, and I devote, I discipline that daily, I'm just in the word because I want to know, and I talk with him and I walk with him. I now find myself showering that same love on Kay. And you know what happens? Other people start seeing this extravagant love. And then it opens doors for me to tell them where it all started. And this has been my life for the last two weeks. I'm having so many relationships with people who have never been to church and they don't go here yet. Been in high V and they reach out to me and say, hey, and I find I get a chance to talk about who this Christ is. And man, I'm just telling you, there's no, there's no shame in it. I just talk about it. And I'm getting to pray with them through difficult times and walk with them and God's beginning to do something amazing. And right here, three weeks ago, a gentleman came up, fell in my arms and says, I want what you got. That wasn't about me. That's all about Jesus. And so we're meeting and we're talking about this Jesus. It's just so cool. But we have to die to ourselves. We got to wake up every morning and pick up that cross and say, it's not me, it's you. Because of our devotion of what we really love and who we love. But that has to happen daily. See, it's been said, winners do daily what losers do occasionally. Every day, nothing more important. Listen to what Solomon wrote. Solomon wrote, one's pride will bring him low. But he who is humble, he who is him built, will obtain honor. Isaiah wrote, the Lord God says, this is the one to whom I will look upon. He who is humble, him built. The one who died to self and devoted their heart and does it daily. Those are the ones, he says, they tremble at my word. I will look upon them. Here's what Solomon wrote in Proverbs 3. To the humbled, he gives favor. I just close with this. I find it interesting that we all know that God created man, right? And this is gender specific. And he created us male, and right? I just find this interesting that he created man first. And then he brings a woman along. By the way, nowhere in scripture does it say women love your husbands. 
Nowhere. It says, husbands, love your wives as Christ. You die to self, you devote your heart, and every day you discipline. I just find this interesting. He created man, and then woman second, but he stuck their name out front. Created male, and then created female. The first shall be last. Those who want to lead become servant. My wife's submission doesn't mean she serves me. If I really get the thing in Christ, if there's a servant in the marriage, it's me. Will you marry me? And you never get up off that knee. But if you'll stay at the cross in that posture, he will raise you up. And in the mystery of only what he can do, he will bring healing, he will bring life, he'll breathe in that dead, and all of a sudden you come to life and it changes everything now as you think about the second death. And I will one day stand before God and you know what he'll say? Well done, welcome home, well done. I'm living for that, nothing else. I'm living for that. Father, oh my, if we can get this. We die to ourselves, that we truly lay down and say, God, not my thoughts, not my way. To seek first the kingdom, you made the promise that the Bible's full of them. All these things will be added. That includes our marriage, our relationships. But that requires a devotion of heart. God, I just want to love like you love, and the only way I'm going to have that is daily nurturing that love, that relationship. The vine, the fruit will happen. The fruit happens. I want to stay next to the vine, abiding in you. For if I abide in you, then I should live, I should love like you. It happens. As I stay to the vine, the spirit flows and begins to do what I cannot do. And the two shall be one. And what God puts together, no one can separate. Well, thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past messages. And if you like what you're hearing, consider rating it and even sharing it with your friends. It helps so much. You know, you can click the share button Take a screenshot and share it on your social stories and tag us at Celebrate Church. For more content from Celebrate and to connect with us, go to celebrate.church. We love you and we believe in you. God bless. God bless.